Hi, this is Joel Johnson. Here we have another Rainmaker podcast, and this is a special one. We're going to be talking to Dustin Stanley from Strategic Wealth Management. Um, you probably know Dustin uh, works with Matt Dickin, and it's going to be a great episode. Before we jump in and get deep down into all things marketing, sales, business structure, ownership structure, and so on, just want to remind you guys that um, you know anything we say here, if you're going to filter it out to clients, it needs to be... Um, needs to be run through your compliance department. We will not be responsible for any trouble you get into um, by utilizing anything in this podcast. Uh, So run it through your own compliance. Um, Us, Rainmaker, Inc., or uh, Advisors XL are not responsible for you guys screwing up. So uh, with that said, um, let's get into it. So I have here with me Dustin. Hey, Dustin, what's going on? Hey, Joel, man, I feel special after that intro. Thank you. Yeah, anytime there's a legal disclaimer, it means the people on the line are very important, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so what I like to do, Dustin, let's just kind of back up a little bit and go back like five years and tell okay. me what the business tell me what the business looked like, um, maybe how many offices you had, how many employees, what your main marketing. Just kind of give us a real good picture of, uh, of five years ago, so what, 2014, what strategic wealth looked like. Yeah, so in 2014, that was actually my first year. So five years ago now, I was just with the company only six months. So uh, it was just Matt and myself as the advisors, and we had, I believe it was three support teams. So there was, there was a total of five of us in the office at that time. And I think we did, that first year I was here, I think we did $30 million total production. That's between annuity and managed so it was a it was a totally different firm than than what it is today. Wow! And so, what kind of marketing were you doing back then? Just seminars. So uh, okay. we did we did most of our most of our leads came from our from our dinner events from our seminars, but we also had a thirty minute TV show that we did back then. When did you guys start doing the TV show? How, how far? We're talking five years started, ago. So how, I think we started two thousand twelve. Was when okay. the, the TV show started. So that was pretty new. So based on the amount of production and what it cost to buy TV in Louisville, Lexington. Yeah, in, in Louisville. Louis, in Louisville, you guys were probably uh, at the, at that point. It was probably still costing you. You probably weren't getting the money back you were investing in TV. Is that fair to say, or were you guys? I would say, yeah, that's definitely fair to say. It was more of a of a brand recognition and people coming to the events knowing who we were just seeing us maybe for five minutes on Sunday before they went to church or something like that it wasn't driving a whole lot of leads but it was it was definitely something people would say hey I saw you on on Sunday and were you guys on a major network affiliate were you on one of the cable um, the little side stations you can buy through the cable company or what what yeah what so kind of we were on the ABC affiliate here in in Louisville so it was the main TV station it was 10:30 a.m on on Sunday mornings. Okay. So you're doing the seminars, you're doing the TV, um, you've got three support staff plus you and Matt. What does the office look like as far as where, what kind of a neighborhood is it at in Louisville? Yeah, so we were in what, what's called the east end of Louisville, which is the, the nicer part of town. And uh, we were actually in, in some office condominiums at that time. And it was, I mean, it was nice, but it looked like maybe when you think of going to your dentist office, the real nice dentist office that's in the office condominiums, that's, that's what we appeared to be. And it, was, it had very much the mom and pop feel. So when you came in, you're not going to land a whole lot of high net worth clients just because of the, just because of the, the, uh, the office itself. 
Okay. And then when did you guys start? At, well, actually, and let me back up a little bit. So how many seminars were you guys doing at the time? I think at that time we did 60 events a year, and that was Matt speaking at every single event back then. So I was, okay. I was there to do the intro, and, uh, and then Matt spoke at every event. Okay. So when did you guys start realizing, hey, this is going to work, let's, let's, um, you know, let's reinvest a substantial amount of money that we're bringing in? Did you guys self-finance the growth, or did, did you borrow yeah. money? You did no, we sell- self-financed. Okay. And it so was when- funny because Matt kept, kept telling me, Dustin, this is, you know, it's, it's not going to stay this good. So don't, you know, don't get your hopes up thinking that you're going to continue to close and, and keep writing as much business as you are. You know, there's going to be some really slow months, so don't, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Well, every single month we grew, I mean, e- exponentially. Every month, month after month, we were growing. That's interesting. So is this like the Northwestern Mutual general agent thing where they try to get you to finance a big car and a big house so that you'll have all kinds of pressure to produce? Was he telling you not to do that? (laughs) Yeah, no, Matt was doing the opposite of that. So he kept telling me just, you know, just just prepare for the the slow months because they're coming. And, uh, you know, he would tell me, well, December is always a horrible month. So just, you know, don't don't expect a whole lot. And then I I wrote my record production that month. Wow. So it was just, uh, I guess. He didn't realize how much, how much business he just wasn't following up on because Matt, he had so many leads coming in at that time, and I came from metal fabrication. So when I got a lead in our in our family business, I would follow up with that lead probably ten to fifteen times before I would before I would call it a, a close lost. Well, Matt would have somebody come to the dinner event, say yes, they want to come in for a meeting. And then they would either cancel or they would reschedule a few times, and then he would just forget about them, and he would move on. And I couldn't get my head wrapped around that. I was just like, how can you let these leads go? And, and Matt has a, a great analogy, and I'll tell you that here in a second. But I couldn't understand that. Is, is I just wanted to – let's see who we can reengage. So I started tracking phone calls. I started tracking how much am I booking appointments, how much am I closing from those and it turned in my first 12 months in the business. I wrote $26 million in annuity production off of just Matt's seconds. You know, so it was, a, it, it was a lot of business. Once we realized that, that's when we started saying, okay, let's, let's really start bulking up the, uh, the dinner events. Yeah, you know, I asked him, how are you letting these leads go? And he said, imagine you, – you've probably heard this before, Joel. He said, imagine you have a sea of people that are drowning, and you've got an unlimited supply of life jackets. He said, I'm on the dock throwing life jackets out at, at, at everybody that I can. I want to help as many of them as I can. But if somebody turns around and throws that life jacket back to me, how much time am I going to spend trying to convince him to keep the life jacket that's trying to save his life? So I thought, my gosh, that's, that's genius. But I want to convince the guy to keep the life jacket. I'm going to keep trying to tell him, come on, let me help you. And that's, that's basically how we grew that, that, those first few years of, of us together. So is that the only thing you were doing when you started was following up on the people that just kind of passed through the system? That's it. Yeah. So you so weren't you and weren't then, doing it, any it, of the oh, you weren't doing any of the real hot leads that that booked at the uh, workshop and came in the first time and all that. There would be an occasion where Matt just wouldn't be excited about an appointment, maybe after reading their response sheet or something like that, and he would say, "Hey, do you want my ten o'clock?" or you know things things that were like that. But as far as booking extra appointments on my calendar. It was it was very few there at the beginning. So twenty six million bucks off of just the people that were following through the cracks that you had to work a little bit harder to get back in. 
You got it. Yeah. Let's let's focus on that for just a second, Dustin. So those people, like, were they people that attended the workshop and never asked for an appointment, or were they people that asked for an appointment and it was just a little tough to get them in? Who who were these people? So it was both. So the ones that, that said yes, they wanted an appointment, and then they needed to reschedule for some reason, those were the first ones I would call and the first ones that I would I would try and get on the calendar. But I also called every no. So if it was a no, I would call them, and I wrote a phone script for myself, basically just asking for input from them. And then it, was there anything that jumped out as one of the most important things that he covered that evening or something you'd like more info on? And whatever they would say, I would just start digging with that and just ask, well, why was that important to you? And how would that be beneficial? And I would just try to start working on, on them through the phone and then get them into the office. Amazing. That's great. Wow. That's great. I mean, we're, we're, we, we're really big and I know there's a lot of people falling through the cracks. So, so um, backing up just a bit, you said there was something else you wanted to talk about when we were talking there. Oh, no, no, no. That was just the analogy that, that Matt made about the life jackets and trying okay. to convince people. Now, at this point, were you guys setting your own appointments and, and risk, you know, doing the confirmation and all that stuff? No. So we had the front desk. So the uh, I think we called it at that time the director of first impressions. Uh, they would be doing all of the reschedules or calls and confirmations, uh, thing, things of that nature. And then we had a marketing uh, director of marketing that was at every event that was handling the calendars. And were you guys pretty much just annuity back then or were you doing the uh, money management for people? We were 95%, uh, I would say back then, annuity. And we just did a little bit of money management with, with Global at that time and, and another money manager. So just so our listeners can get a, a real good picture here, because I think for a lot of people, they think, well, the magic bullet, the reason why Matt and Joel and the, and the Thackers and these guys do so much business is because they, they have this army of associate advisors. But you were basically, you did $26 million of annuity premium just yourself when it was you, Matt, and a pretty limited support staff. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Wow. Cool. Okay. So fast forward to today. What does the business look like today? Now we've got a, an army of, of associate advisors. <laughs> no, uh, I think we've got eight eight associate advisors and then and then the partners. Um, we're going to do this year somewhere between 150 and 200 million total production. Um, probably only around 80 or 90 of that will be annuity. The balance will be managed money. Okay. Okay. So each advisor, if you take, uh, well, each advisor on average is doing between 25, what, eight times 25 is 200. So somewhere between 20 and 25 million on average, correct? On average, yeah. So we've okay. got some, some really, uh, I, I would say it's kind of the 80-20 uh, the role. So the bulk of yep. the business is, is the, uh, the highest producers. And then we've got, you know, we've got a, a good mix. And how many appointments are you guys running a week firm-wide as far – how do you measure it? Do you measure it, Dustin, by how many first appointments we see or do you measure total appointments? What do you guys look at um, to decide if the calendar's full enough? Yeah, we're looking at first appointments. So how many – you call them greens. We just call them first appointments. Okay. So uh, we're just – we're trying to get each advisor – let me look at my, my journal as I'm speaking here – uh, my goal personally, I want to see at least seven first appointments a week, but we're trying to get at least five for each one of the, the associate advisors. Okay. I think we booked a total of um, 
I think it was 350 or, or so appoint, first appointments in, and that was either last month or that was for the, yeah, here we go. So we booked a total of 343 appointments in September. So that was how many first appointments we booked. So our goal is, is around 3,500 to, to 4,000 appointments a year. And um, so 343 and a third fall off maybe? The first time so we kept two, we kept two hundred fifteen. Okay, so yeah, so basically third, a third right? fell off. Great, wow! So there's no mysteries here, right? I mean, it's all about the first appointments. It is. It's a hundred percent. How many first appointments can you get on the calendar? So, what would you say before we get into like how you set up these associate advisors? Knowing what would you say if there's like one or two main factors contributing to your success? What would it be? Um, I think it's just the the atmosphere. We got a great team, and and uh, Matt is a he's a great CEO, and I think he's got the right attitude and vision, and and everybody buys into it, and everybody just is excited to work here. We did a survey, I think it was maybe two months ago now, and one of the one of the neatest things to see was how how proud everybody was to say that they work at SWD. We reach out in the community a lot, and and uh, just the whole staff is excited about being a part of the team, and I think that's what drives a lot of it. That's great. What um, does Matt still see a lot of people? How often is Matt actually in the office? Uh, he's here. Um, I would say three to. I'd say three days a week. He's in the office now. Okay, so he's working. For, for those that don't know, Matt has this second career that's very time consuming, uh, and um, you know takes a lot of mental mental energy also, which is racing, and so he's working hard between the racing and he's still there. I mean, he's putting in a lot of hours on his two professions. Yeah. You should see his calendar, man. It's, it's crazy to try to get something scheduled with him. So if you had to go back to when you guys started and you were to give yourself advice, so I'll kind of ask you to speak just for yourself, not necessarily for the firm, Dustin. So go back to when you got into the business. If you had to give yourself advice back then, what would it be? I would say look at at being a full service advisor. I mean, when I first started out, it was just uh, you know I was basically an annuity first call close type of 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 meeting, and now it's a comprehensive meeting talking about everything from long term care strategies to tax planning to income strategies to basically just being that full service advisor, meaning that you're not just looking at one part of their portfolio. You're looking at how to manage it and how to build this relationship for the next ten fifteen years as their as their full advisor and not just their annuity salesman. Do you guys have a philosophy of of making it easy for somebody to become a client? And what I mean by that is maybe going for one piece first and then once the relationship is a client advisor relationship, then you dig into the other areas? Or do you try to do the entire comprehensive planning right up front and implement everything right up front as they become a client? So we, we do everything very similar to how Eric does his. So everything's one step at a time. It's very easy to make those those one-step decisions. Now, the process itself we call our blueprint, and the, the blueprint process is basically a four-step process. Step one is where we just pick the assets up and move them over to, to TD Ameritrade where we can start making some adjustments. But, yeah, so there's certain scenarios that we call, we call it monkey paw, uh, where we just try to get a little bit of, of business to get the relationship started. So I think for my associate advisors, that's more common for them to just go after a small piece and then at the annual review, maybe take over the rest. 
but the lead advisors in every market, I would say that that's a, a very small percentage of, of what they're doing. They're, they're going after everything. Okay. So give me a, a good picture of what the firm looks like today. Offices, so, how the offices yes. are set up. So we've got nine uh, cities, nine locations right now. We've got um, lots of associate advisors, and we've got a lead in each market. We're on, I think it's five different news stations now once a week. Um, and the, the firm's seen some pretty significant growth over the last few years. I think we're up 100% over where we were this time last year and 150 or 160% over where we were in 2017. And that's and we measured. Don't see that. How is that measured? Uh, gross total assets brought onto the firm. Okay. Um, we're opening, we're going to focus a, a lot on just trying to grow all the markets that we're in now instead of opening any new ones for a while, I believe. Okay. So, um, still doing a half hour TV show or are you doing the news segments? No, just the news segments now. Okay. All right. So you dropped the TV show. Let's talk about that a little bit. So give me your rationale between going from doing the half-hour TV show to the news segments. Uh, well, just more eyeballs. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at a, at a Sunday morning TV show, yes, we were, we were getting decent ratings for the time slot that we were in. But, I mean, nothing gets more eyeballs than, than the news itself. And being a part of the news is, uh, I mean, something that not too many people are doing, I would say, in the industry itself. And so do you do what we do, which is you're on the news, you're giving away a piece or something like that, and then they get into a sales funnel, or are you going right for the appointment? No, we're doing exactly as, I mean, there's no reason to create new if we can just copy copy somebody else that's had success. So okay. we're doing it exactly, exactly like you are or trying to. Okay. So give me an idea of how the offices are structured. Are they all structured the same as far as staffing? Do you centralize uh, certain parts of the business like appointment setting or business processing and so on? Yeah. So each location, everything runs through Louisville. So Louisville is the headquarters for all offices for, for basically all the new business. But uh, each each office has a support staff, someone that's going to schedule appointments, someone that's going to be there to welcome new clients when they come in, and then an advisor and then typically someone there that can handle the new business paperwork and, and things of that nature. So each office is going to have at least, including the advisor, at least three people in it. And how do you um, – a lot of people are going to hear this and say, well, why don't those people just leave strategic wealth management and set up their own because they've got a support staff, an advisor, and a new business paperwork person. Why wouldn't they just spin out? Well, the marketing and the presence that we do in every market is pretty strong. So I think that they, hopefully we're providing enough appointments for people to, for them to realize there's no way they're going to generate this much on their own. Okay. So we just want to make it, make it as, as, you know, good luck to them if they do. But I think that it would be difficult to replace the, the brand recognition and the, and the power that we have as a company. And what is the payout for the advisors? So that really varies. So we've got. I them actually and hate. Just like I we hate, talked about. You know what? That. Let me back up a minute. So I hate this word payout because uh, when we recruit advisors, you know, advisors are sort of in this world of it, and it comes up in the interview all the time. And with advisors, you know how you go through this interview training, right? You're told, "Well, never bring up compensation first. Let the company that you're interviewing with bring up compensation." Well, advisors don't go to the school of going to interviews, right? They just, it yeah. comes up in the first appointment. It's like, what's the payout? And the problem is, 
in our experience, if we don't present that conversation in a quick way, all they're going to hear is 25% or base plus 10 or something like that. And they're going to go, well, if I go to LPL, I get 90. Or if I go to Merrill, I get 40. So what's your payout? And then in that recruiting conversation, where are you finding the people and how are you presenting that? So that's a, that's a, a, a tough question. So we've got uh, ranging anywhere from base plus 5% for our new service advisor. Those are typically who are doing like service work for me or, or our other leads in, in market. They're doing annual reviews. They're handling any phone calls that are just quick questions that the advisor doesn't need to get on. Uh, so they're, all of their managed money is rolling up to the lead advisor that they're with, and then they get a 5% share of that lead advisor's book. So as well, as the, the, as well as the annuity piece? Uh, as well as the annuity piece, so, yeah, okay. so they're getting five percent of each. Okay. Then we've got our our service, or I'm sorry, our associate advisors, and they get no base, and they get twenty five percent of whatever they're doing, annuity and managed. And then we've got the uh, you call them the legacy, and we're basically the same. So we've got thirty percent advisors that have been here long enough to uh, to have been the legacy advisors. Okay. Uh, as far as finding finding new talent. Well, let me just back oh, up man. a minute. So, so is yep. there a team with the legacy advisor and the associate advisor on it? So you guys are paying out fifty-five percent, or no? So the the lead will have thirty percent. The associate gets none of his. So I'm sorry, the service advisor gets none of his. He only gets a percentage of his managed money book. Got it. So basically, on on the leads, we're paying out thirty-five percent. Okay. And then, but recruiting. that's only on managed. The annuity, the the. Uh, service advisor gets zero on annuity from the okay. lead, but okay. 5% of their own. Got it. Cool. So, so wait, wait, so just, <laughs> all right, I'm a little slow here. So the service advisor is with the legacy advisor. The service advisor is getting zero of the managed money or they're getting a little bit of the managed money? They're getting 5% of the managed money of the lead. Got it. Okay. And if they write a piece of business on their own, they're going to get 5% of the annuity commission that comes into the firm, correct? And then, Correct. And then 5% rolls up to the lead. Perfect. Okay. Excellent. So recruiting, where are you finding yeah. these guys? So that's, that's kind of a mix. So we've got, uh, we use the, the graylings as well of the world. And then we just look for talent. I mean, if you know somebody that is, I mean, myself included, I was a hustler. I knew how to grind. I knew how to work, but I didn't know how to make money. And I didn't know, you know, I was in a metal fabrication field. So if you find somebody that's just a, has an incredible work ethic, it's worth training them in the industry just because you know how hard they're going to work. And, and, you know, and then on the other hand, we've got people that we've, that we've recruited out of uh, pharmaceutical sales. We've got a, a former realtor that works for us. We've got a former stockbroker that works for us. So, I would say there's not one place. It's just we're looking for talent. We're looking for people that are just, you know, that have that that it factor. And once they come on board with you, Dustin, how long is the training process before they're actually seeing their own appointments? I would say it really varies on the person, but anywhere between three and six months before they before they really start to have any meetings on their own. Okay, so they'll all of this in, is they'll sit in a lot of my meetings, and then we have Monday morning training with all the advisors 
uh, where we'll bring them in on uh, video conference and we'll have all advisors there for an hour, hour and a half on Mondays. And we'll just run through scenarios and we'll role play and we'll, we'll talk about scenarios that happened that week. And, and we met, we make it hard on them. We try and, and give them situations that they're going to run into and, and we don't let them up easy. We, we, we make it pretty tough on them. So this is very familiar to what we do, except we're probably a little short, a little deficient on the role play piece. We have, when we bring on an advisor, we have them sit in meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, but then I think one of the things we're doing is letting them go too quick without the ongoing training. So Eric and I are working hard on that. We're finding out that the advisors really need to start doing some of their own appointments before the training will sink in. Um, yeah. So if there's this training phase and then you turn them loose, they don't really have the context of the training because they haven't been in the appointments. Um, exactly. So what we're working on is, okay, we're going to train them, then we're going to set them loose, let them fail or let them have success, and then bring them back and constantly be training, which it sounds like you guys are doing on that Monday morning uh, meeting a lot more than just, well, here's the products and, you know, focus on this and so on. They're, you're actually doing yeah. role play. We, we've, we talk very little about products. It's, it's, I would say, 80% role play or we'll have an agenda. You know, we'll talk about uh, how, to, how to dig for issues with their current advisor or how to look for areas of improvement on their statements or, or their portfolio. So we're, we're actually teaching them tools that we use in every meeting and uh, and we'll spend the whole time on that. So it varies between role play and actual uh, an agenda that we have. And for all the the green or the first appointments you guys see across the firm, how many of them become clients? What percentage? Roughly twenty five percent. Okay, so Jesus is exactly where we're at. <laughs> okay, have you yeah. guys have you guys gone through the phase like we have of kind of becoming obsessed? Of why the heck is it only twenty five percent? What can we do to make oh, it hell bigger? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah absolutely, we do. So, so you put in a ton of each, energy. Each advisor. You, you put in a ton of energy and money to that. Probably frustrated, and has it bumped the needle a little bit? <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so same I here. Mean, there, there certain, same here. Certain yeah. advisors that we can see some improvement uh, because we measure yeah. each advisor's closing ratios. We've got some outliers. We've got some some really high percentage closers, and then we've got some really low. So if we can get the low close, closing percentages, uh, if we could get those bumped up, then yeah, it could make a difference. But as a blended average, you know, it's tough to get. It's, it's super hard to get that number up. Yeah, you know, that's what we've found. And I go to the journey. You know, I try to go to all the AE events, and and I go through phases, right? My staff just must think I'm off the walls and they don't say anything. <laughs> but I'll come back so frustrated because somebody says they're doing 40% or 50% or 80% somehow. And we've yeah. put so much time and energy and into how do we get that closing ratio up? And it just doesn't move much. You know, it might go from 25 <laughs> to 27 and then back to 23. And you know, I'm coming to the conclusion that, you know, over the last couple of years, I've really tried to tweak a model that's worked really well. And I yeah. think for us, I don't want to ignore the fact that you can always improve in different areas. But for us, it's been almost a wasted year or two, you know, 10 or 15 or maybe 20 percent of the time of the staff has been devoted over the last couple of years to trying to increase these numbers. 
And maybe the numbers are just the numbers, and we're making a ton of money. You know, our profit margins are great. Maybe we should just do more of what we're doing instead of this obsession to improve these little areas. I don't know if you want to comment on that at all. Yeah, living in the gap. We do the same thing. So yeah. I'm convinced, though, that – I mean, I'm convinced that other people are not using the same matrix as we are. We count every single person that comes to an event, every person that comes to the office. Whether they have no money or not, there's still somebody that we met. So I don't believe that – I mean, when I hear, when I hear numbers like 55% or 80% or – to me, they're, they're, they're padding their egos a little bit, I believe. So what they're doing is if somebody doesn't have money or they just feel like they weren't a fit, they're not counting them. I just – I can't see how someone is closing unless they're pre-qualifying them before they come to an event. They're calling and saying, you know, what are the assets that you have? What type of investments do you use? Are you conservative? Are you aggressive? Are they pre-qualifying everybody before they come to their events? Then, yeah, I could see maybe 80 percent, 90 percent at that rate. Well, well they must if, be. I mean, I think they're pre-qualifying people before they come to an event, and I think they're pre-qualifying people before they come to an appointment. And so yeah. then, yeah, you bump your numbers. But, you know, I mean, I want to say to somebody, look, bozo, and this is, you know, hopefully there's only – Rainmaker people listening to this, but <laughs> yeah. but dude, if you're closing eighty percent, why the hell aren't you in the top ten? Why are right. you like number <laughs> number eighty two on the top one hundred list if you're closing eighty yeah. percent? I don't get it. So um, so those of you that are listening, you know, uh, Dustin and Matt are just having a massive. You, you guys are like fifty five, fifty eight million of annuity premium, and it's only September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's been a, a huge been a, year. been a great year. So cool. Um, so let's see, where were we? So we talked a little bit about how you're structuring the advisors, the comp and all that. Um, what are you doing for marketing today? You're doing seminars and TV, anything else? Uh, so we're doing as, as, as much as we can. I mean, we're doing just community outreach where we'll try to do some volunteer events and then a lot of TV appearances. Uh, but yeah, we, we haven't really reinvented the wheel. We, uh, there's no radio show, no, 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 nothing new that we're doing outside of more of what we've always done. Are you doing a lot of uh, Facebook ads direct to appointments or Facebook ads with giveaways based on events that are happening in the community? Like, you know, Ford's going to lay off. 500 people and that kind of thing? Every time I come back from Rainmaker, that is number one on my list with my team. And I still okay. have gotten nowhere with it. So that okay. is something that, that we are, we're failing on and we've, we've got to improve because there is so much opportunity there. Seeing your ROI on, on digital marketing, we've got to do a better job at that. Yeah, it's, I'm excited. And, you know, I get, it's, I don't know if this is, what you and Matt are like now, but I'm, I'm beginning, we're getting so big. I'm starting to get farther and farther away from that stuff. So I know I do it. I know we've got, I know we do it. I know we've got a talented person doing that. Um, a talented person running that department. But if I had to figure out all that little stuff, I, I don't know. I have observed this and I, I don't know if this is a lesson for, for others or not. As we do more, the ROI starts to drop a little bit. And I don't know if that's a short-term anomaly or not. But, you know, we used to have this 25, 28 to 1 ROI on digital marketing. And it, it's starting to come down. So we're maybe tripling our digital marketing, but we're making twice the amount of money that we used to. Um, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's a short-term thing or not. But I'll tell you what, anything we can do that scales, you know, TV, digital, 
that scales to the point where obviously once somebody comes in for an appointment, you know, there needs to be a one-on-one appointment. But that marketing stuff, if we can put it on autopilot, it's just huge. Oh, man. Yeah, it is. Definitely. So tell me how you guys have opened up these other offices because you've got nine offices. I mean, that's more uh, that's more than we have, I think. And so it is. Yeah. Um, what are they nine different cities or are they clustered around like how many do you have in Louisville? So we've got five cities, nine offices. Okay. So what was the first new city that you went to? Was it the Indianapolis uh, office? It was, yeah. Uh, actually, before Indianapolis, we did. We had a real small satellite uh, presence in Lexington, uh, and that was in a temporary space, and we did really well there. We, we didn't set roots down for a while uh, until re- more recently. Indianapolis was the first place we went, and we actually opened an office and, and really had a, had a major media presence and, and, uh, and, and a great market share. Um, Indy was tough, though. You and I have talked about it before several times, and I was ready to pull out. I, I was having a, a tough time there, and, and uh, we just didn't know what we didn't know because it was a new city, and Matt doubled down. I, <laughs> I would have quit. I would have I sucked up my losses and, and, uh, and tucked tail and ran, and thank God we didn't. He was right, and Indy is, is outproducing. Uh, actually, Indy's our number one producing office as of right now. And how many offices are up there? Uh, we've got uh, three in Indianapolis. Okay, and how, so how many advisors? Three, three lead advisors, or so there's yeah, so there's two lead advisors and a and an associate up there. Okay, and then how, so how long when you went up there because you knew TV work? Did you go TV right away like we did in Boston? Did you just like you signed a lease and you did TV? Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, so we that's what we, we went all in. We didn't we didn't we didn't stick our toe in the water. We just went all in. And because of the spread out of your offices, the other advisors, the associates and the other lead advisors are doing seminars, correct? They're presenting and so on. Oh, yeah. How long did it take them to get good at it? Because I think a lot of people pull the plug on that too early, having their associates do do seminars. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it depends on the person, but it can be rough for a while. Uh, we've seen it take six months for someone to start getting numbers that were livable, um, we've had others who were, you know, within 60 days, they were doing really well. So it, it depends on the personality of the advisor and how, how much time they're going to put into it. Because the time to practice is not in front of clients. The time to practice right. is at your home, in your car, and wherever you are outside of being in front of clients. And if they're willing to put in that effort, I think they can do it pretty quickly. And give me an idea of the firm now. You have how many advisors? Uh I believe it's, including the partners, I think it's close to 11 total. And how many total staff counting those 11? Uh, 30. Okay, so at about, about a two, for every advisor, there's about two staff people. Yeah, yeah, that's about okay. right. So as we kind of wrap here, Dustin, um, if we were sitting here three years from today, looking back, you know this question, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, we were, if we were sitting here three years from today, so it's 2022, and we're looking back over the last three years. Where, where, you know, what have you done for the last three years? Um, what do you have to do to be happy with your progress? What does the company look like? So we have a, a, a five-year goal as of a year ago. So I'm going to say four years from now instead of three. And we want to generate uh, as much positive change in as many retirees' lives as we can. But 
we want to bring on a billion dollars in new assets per year, five years from last year, so four years from today. So that would mean we would have several more cities than what we're in now. Uh, we would have a, we would have a lot more advisors on staff. Me personally, I'd like to have an even greater role in, in training those advisors and spending time with developing their skills and picking new markets and, and, uh, and potentially acquisition of new firms. So I think the next four years are going to be fun and exciting. That's awesome. My goals are way too small. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things I'll just let you know, one of the things, like if I wasn't doing the Rainmaker Group and working with you guys, you know, meeting all of you and, and getting to know you and stuff, and this is kind of a confession here, I may have just, because I'm a, I'm a good saver, you know, Wendy and I have saved enough money where I would never have to work um, anymore and earn zero return on, on our savings and you know, certainly never run out of money in our lifetime based on our lifestyle, unless I, unless I keep buying track cars. Racing. There's, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, I've, I've noticed, by the way, so, so I bought a track car, for those of you that don't know, like six or eight weeks ago, and I, I was really excited because I got a good deal, and it's a good car, and the, the, uh, the, the company, Masanti Motorsports, that, that got a commission for selling me the car. They had built the car for this other client, so on, so on. I'm all excited. Within the first 30 days of owning that car, I spent about another 30 grand. Um, <laughs> tires are, are amazing. So anyways, so if, if I keep doing that, I might need to work, you know, three hours a week or something like that. But, yeah. But, but what, you know, getting back to my point was, I get a lot of inspiration from being in that group, you know, and hearing what guys are doing like you guys i i think in some ways you're run better than we are especially for the for the advisor training and so i hope all of you that are listening to this you picked up on what dustin said about the investment they're making in advisor training um i don't think we throw people out there when they come on board but we're definitely doing less on an ongoing basis in an organized way so like i pulled in a couple new people that started working with us about 30 days ago um, yesterday into my office, but it's very random. You know, it's very off the cuff. I don't have anything to do. I should probably hang around the office and look like I'm busy. So I'll pull some people into the office. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said for this formal training program. And if you're going to build to a billion a year, you've got to have systems and training in place. Um, yeah. so, uh, so kudos to you guys. That's, that's really exciting. So tell me about, so you bought into the firm, very similar yeah. to what Eric did with me. Tell me about how that worked. How was it structured? Um, uh, how much skin did you have to have in the game? Uh, sounds like Matt kind of pulled the trigger on you a little earlier than I pulled the trigger on Eric. So talk, just talk us through that. Yeah, so I was, I mean, I was having a lot of success. And, and Matt, at that time, it was just he and I. So he didn't really have, you know, if God forbid something happened to him, who would really take over the firm? So he was motivated to have somebody that could that could handle our clients and make sure the business was still ran if something happened to him. And I wouldn't let up on him. I just kept, you know, pestering you know, pestering him about becoming a partner because, you know, I, I had never worked for someone. I had a, a family business that I ran my whole life and then coming to work for somebody, it was nice at first, but then I realized that, you know, this is this is not me. I I work for myself and, and so I just stayed on him until it until he said, okay, well, let's, let's figure out the numbers. And then we talked to you and, and Eric, and we, we wanted to know, you know, kind of what, what your guidance and how did you guys do it? And, and we copied real close to what you guys did. 
So I bought in, a, you know, I'm a 30% owner of the firm and, and then matched the, the lion's share. So uh, he's still very active in the business, not meeting with clients anymore, but he still spends a lot of time in, in marketing and, and really in the, the CEO role, working on the business and not necessarily in it. So he's the vision guy. And then we've got a, a C-suite. So we've got a chief compliance officer, a marketing officer, and then myself um, that kind of make the, the vision happen. And you're really in charge of the sales team. Is that is that fair to say? Your focus uh, it's really is the sales team. Both of us, Matt. It's something he's passionate about. You know, he gets a he gets a lot out of working with the guys, and and uh, of course, Matt trained me, so he's he's uh, he's awesome at what he does. But yeah, I, I would say that it's both of us. Great. And then, do you guys have anything in place for down the road? Do you have a like? Do you have an option to buy more or anything like that? Uh, at this point, no, but, uh, you know, Matt, that, that could change at some point. Sure. Yeah. Um, good. Awesome. Well, thank you. Dustin, is there anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap up here? No, no. I mean, uh, it was, it was fun doing the, doing the podcast. This is the first one I've done. So it was, it was pretty cool to do with you. Well, I'm really glad that you did this because I've got two pages of notes here and I'm going to walk out of this room very frustrated, scream at my staff and saying, <laughs> why the hell aren't we doing all this stuff? Because these guys are going to catch us real quick. So uh, so thanks for doing this, Dustin. It was a real inspiration to me. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to share some of these ideas with my staff because I think they're awesome. And um, we'll see you in the next Rainmaker Group. Sounds great, man. Thanks for having me.